0: hey everyone jeremy again still on the road but i'm heading back today which means next week we'll be back with all new episodes but for now i want to bring you another one of my favorite episodes that you may not have caught the first time around really fascinating conversation without further ado here we go
1: if you look at every mock-up that comes from most EV toll companies, it's taking off from the top of a parking facility. So how do we think about that urban landscape? And Metropolis is the core or is the operating partner that enables all of those services and repurposes all of that land.
0: Hi, I'm Jeremy Goldman, and this is Future Proof. I don't know how much time you spend thinking about things like how people move around cities and how inefficient urban mobility can be. But it's admittedly something I've been thinking about since I developed the logo and branding for this little autonomous driving startup, Mobileye, years ago, now part of Intel. So how how people get around and even how we park is an essential part of the future that we live in. To that end, I wanted to speak to Alex Israel. He's the CEO and co-founder of Metropolis, the autonomous commerce platform disrupting the traditional real estate industry to make way for urban mobility, starting with the underbelly of parking. I wanted to talk talk to Alex about his computer vision-based solution and autonomous vehicles in general. So I'm looking forward to this chat. Uh, Alex, welcome to Future Proof.
1: Jeremy, thank you for having me on. Very excited for this conversation.
0: Absolutely. I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, just in your own words, how you define your work. Who are you and what do you do on a day-to-day basis?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Uh, who am I as a, as a CEO, as, a, as an executive, as a co-founder, as a father? On a on a daily basis, I am a husband, a father, and an entrepreneur, which you know normally consists of my daughter waking me up at five thirty in the morning, uh, getting to work around seven, uh, spending my day uh, with my team, uh, thinking about the future of urban transportation and mobility,
0: and how we can reshape cities. Amen and I th- I I like that you've got a very clearly defined vision for the uh company which I think is obviously some, one of those challenges when you're founding something and trying to keep the team, you know, pointing in the same direction. I mean, why is parking such an important problem to solve first off?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a important question, Jeremy. So I think, you know, for me as a kind of futurist and and kind of mobility nerd if you will, as I, as I look at the urban landscape of our Uh, cities across the United States, really, you look about the surface area of these cities and you realize that 14% of the surface area is dedicated to parking, which is this old school asset base. It's never the highest and best use for land. So you think about cities evolving over the next 10, 20, 50, 100 years, and how will the city and the urban landscape evolve along with it? And what will be the highest and best use for that land? And how can we repurpose parking into a, a better use and And for me, as my focus is on mobility, I think about how that urban infrastructure can be turned into mobility hubs. Think about the empowerment or enablement of all future forms of mobility, whether that be vertical takeoff and landing drones, autonomous vehicles, scooters you're you're building out mobility infrastructure to facilitate the cleaning, servicing, charging, and deploying of all future forms of mobility.
0: I wanted to ask you also, how did COVID affect your launch and rollout strategy? I know you've kind of uh, operated in stealth for a bit, but obviously, I feel like, you know, the best laid plans, things uh, sometimes uh, have to get tweaked. Did, did COVID uh, affect uh, the way in which you were thinking about rolling out uh, Metropolis?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. You know. I think I really think as a CEO that organizations are, are, are really kind of living organisms and they, they have to kind of ebb and flow with the times. What I would say is if you're launching a mobility company and when no one across the country or across the globe is engaged in mobility, it's a disaster. It's a disaster for a company. It's a disaster for society. And the whole experience was, was relatively surreal. I remember when COVID really started to gain momentum and started to have a significant impact, um, sitting down with my founding team, and we kind of all hunkered down uh, from our respective homes on our respective Zoom chats and really had to reevaluate our business. You know, from, from an apocalyptic standpoint, think about no one was going to work, no one was getting in cars, and no one was parking. Um, so our core fundamental value proposition was challenged. What was really interesting for us as this kind of apocalypse was unfolding around us was how was the industry and landscape going to evolve? And we got as an organization very lucky. COVID actually was a massive tailwind for us as an organization. What ended up happening is parking for the most part, as we discussed earlier, while it represents 14% of the surface area of most cities across the United States, is a relatively forgotten asset class. You know, you don't talk to most institutional asset owners and they have a parking division. It's a need to have but not a want to have asset class for most institutional asset owners across the United States. With COVID, institutional asset owners took a very deep look at their assets and tried to understand to a greater extent where there were fundamental inefficiencies. And they quickly narrowed down on parking and they realized that it was often very inefficiently run significantly overstaffed and facilitated a bad user experience from an amenitization perspective. And they started to look around for solutions that they could bring to market that would, one, provide a seamless experience for consumers, allow people to seamlessly drive in and out of a facility, like checkout free commerce. Think about uh, an organization like Amazon Go. You come in, you get out, and it's a seamless transaction, an autonomous commerce experience. And the only type of solution in the market that provided that experience is Metropolis. The only company that could provide a touchless experience was metropolis the only experience that could build that level of efficiency and drive value directly to asset owners was metropolis so it ended up being a massive tailwind. when we came into covid with 30 locations across the country. And we will exit this year with north of 600 locations.
0: I'm sorry to cut you off. I I was just going to say, maybe that's a good spot to, to, you know, tell the listeners about an essence, you know, how how you solve this problem, you know, like how you've been able to scale, but, you know, just what is the, the benefit? And I know, obviously, the contactless, you know, you're leaning into a trend that's very of the moment
1: yeah that's a that's a great point jeremy i mean at metropolis at our base is an artificial intelligence platform we're a computer vision driven platform that allows users to seamlessly access services and in this case it's parking um so from, from our experience, you're, you're very familiar with the parking experience today. It's riddled with pain points. Um, for us, you pull into a Metropolis-enabled facility. Our camera technology recognizes your vehicle. It's a 40-second registration process. You sign up on a mobile app or a mobile phone. And then from that moment forward, when you pull into any single Metropolis-enabled facility anywhere across the United States, you get a text message when you pull in welcoming you back, and you're seamlessly charged when you leave. None of the externalities, pain points, cash, weird smells, <laughs> um, none of the normal pain points associated with parking. We we bring kind of the expectation of the mobile experience that we all expect on a day-to-day basis into the palm of your hand associated with parking.
0: Yeah. And I, and, and I think you're right. What's really interesting to me is just observing the fact that the parking process is one of those things that is so incredibly antiquated and yet you don't realize it until you start to talk to somebody like you and realize, wait, this is the way that we do things in uh, 2021, given the way, you know, the frictionless behaviors that we have in our daily lives. And this is the way that we do things there. It, uh, it certainly seems like it's ripe for a disruption.
1: I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's an industry that, for better or worse, I am one heavily ingrained in and hasn't evolved in almost 70 years.
0: Uh, You know, you you said that you think Metropolis can create, and I quote, nostalgia for the future, which I just love that quote. And I've just never heard anywhere else. You know, what do you mean exactly by that?
1: I think, um, yeah, I love that expression. Uh, I I don't know uh, where I first heard it, but I think it's really applicable to Metropolis. It's this idea of engaging in a product or service and saying to yourself, why has it always not been this way? that kind of that familiar feeling of why didn't i think of this or why wasn't this solution deployed earlier it feels so natural it feels so familiar yet it isn't something you've experienced before
0: yeah i think that there are a lot of things that you know that we talked about computer vision and how that's a large part of the solution that you're offering people that there are a lot of people that are somewhat confused by computer vision. And some people are even scared by things that they don't understand. I mean, how do you define it? And how, when you're thinking about leveraging it to solve problems for customers, I'm imagining you're thinking of other ways that you can leverage it uh, going down the line. Am I right? Uh, Without giving too much away.
1: Absolutely. I think parking is just the tip of the spear. (laughs) But I think... The way I would simplify the construct of computer vision is to say that there is a school of thought or there is a discipline that we qualify or call artificial intelligence. And for the most part, our company leverages neural networks, which is the idea of a self-learning algorithm. Um, So within the discipline of artificial intelligence – There is a grouping of technology that people qualify as computer vision. And in this case, it's how does a computer analyze images and self-learn based on those images? So how can we get better and better over time at analyzing what is and driving context around an image?
0: You know, and building on that, it, it, it seems to me that there are a number of different potential applications, obviously. Of what you're doing, and you know, at the same time as you mentioned before, you're providing customers with a touchless parking experience. And you know, just thinking more broadly, how much will con- the consumers of tomorrow expect frictionless experiences in all facets of their lives? You mentioned Amazon Go, and I think that that's obviously one really interesting use case that hasn't caught on like wildfire. But it is the type of thing that you know, once you start to have more and more experiences like that, you start to look at the you know, experiences you grew up with and said, you know, that this is, you know, inferior, right? Like, I want to live in the future where I have more time uh, at my disposal, you know, because I didn't have to engage in all these inefficient things that, you know, you and I grew up with. So um, is that a demand that you're expecting is just going to, you know, continue to grow with consumers of tomorrow?
1: I do, Jeremy, you know, I love, you know, I spend a lot of time talking with my co-founders about nonlinear thinking, yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie Total Recall, but uh, the original Todi, Toda, uh, Total Recall with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. But there's this scene where he gets into the uh, like this autonomous taxi cab, and there's an autonomous robot driving the car, and that's that's linear thinking in the idea that we'd have to have a robot that could drive the car, not the car driving itself, and. I think that many people in many companies don't challenge the status quo and don't think about how technology will evolve over time. I think that this idea that we described or discussed earlier, this nostalgia for the future, I think that consumers are smart and I think consumers are realizing that if, if their decision process can be simplified or their activities or as they engage applications can be simplified. There's a lot of value to be garnered. I think time, time associated for I mean, in our case, time looking for parking, time paying for parking, time circling the block. You know, the, the common statistic is that 20% of urban congestion is caused by people circling the block looking for parking. I think that's just an example As applicable to my company and as applicable to mobility, but as we think about the demands of consumers and the demands for what I'd qualify as autonomous commerce, or as what you're describing as frictional commerce, um, I think the demand for that technology is significant. This idea that I can go into a retail establishment, I can grab my clothing that I'm buying at that example, and then I can just leave. I don't have to engage with a cashier. I don't have to engage with sales reps. Um, Can we build out the technology that allows for that level of simplicity? I think to your point or your question earlier, which is, I think there is a lot of confusion around artificial intelligence and computer vision. And I think there are a lot of questions to be asked surrounding privacy. And I think you want to ensure that you're working with companies that are putting privacy at the forefront of their products to ensure that you're deriving value and not instead invasion from their product
0: base. Well, and there is a lot of data. And as I'm sure you know, that I think that on average, it's not that customers don't care about privacy. It's that they they care about that value exchange. And are they giving up something? You know, they they, they just expect more value in return. They just expect to be a little bit better off by virtue of the fact that they have handed over a piece of uh, information.
1: I, I could not have said it better myself, Jeremy. I think that people are – there. there's comfort in handing over data, but there has to be value exchange. And there has to and, – and our drive and what Metropolis does as a company is it utilizes data to drive value to our members, which are our customers, which are our users.
0: So – you know, I know we just talked a little bit about people uh, driving all over, uh, trying to find parking and not just the inefficiency in that, but think about the pollution associated with that where there's no kind of value. It's one thing if we pollute to get from point A to point B, it's another thing if we go point A to point B and then spend 40 minutes looking for parking. Uh, you know, how will autonomous vehicles factor into the future of urban transportation in general? You know, will they add to traffic because everybody feels that uh, it, it's So much easier to drive, and you know, when will we see a true shift in the landscape thanks to autonomous vehicles? I feel like there's some people who kind of expected it already. I I kind of realized that the rules and regulations around that might be a little bit more of a hurdle than the technology itself. So, what's your perspective on that?
1: You know, I'd say first and foremost, I think most people that talk about autonomous vehicles are speaking out of marketing statements as opposed to kind of the the theoretical adoption of autonomous vehicles and autonomous technology. Um, You hear a lot of different kind of as I know you're very familiar, Jeremy, a lot of theories and a lot of pontification as to when autonomous vehicles will come to fruition in mass scale. What I can tell you is I know a few things for sure. One is we will not see autonomous vehicles circling the block endlessly as they wait to pick up their next passenger. They will fundamentally go, pause, get off the street, not waste energy, minimize lost legs, minimize inefficiencies. There's kind of a prevailing theory or there are prevailing theories associated with the adoption of autonomous technology and the impact on traffic. I think the last last theory I was reading about, uh, someone described it as the the heaven versus hell paradigm, which is, I don't know, Jeremy, if you're familiar with this paradigm, but the the idea of what is this future state? Are we talking about a drop in cost of which the net result is millions of more cars on the road? And more efficiencies in transportation, but millions of more cars on the road, and therefore kind of traffic slamming to a standstill, which is the proverbial hell. Or are you looking at a heaven scenario where, in fact, cost drops so low, efficiencies go up so much, and there are less and less cars on the road as propagated by those efficiencies? I actually believe both answers are correct. I think in the short run, you're going to see a massive influx of vehicles on the road and traffic increasing at, at a linear rate. And I think that is for for those of us that live in a metropolis, that's a, a depressing paradigm. At the same time, I think as vehicles become more efficient in terms of cost profile, and they we dedicate specific lanes for autonomous vehicles, vehicles, and there's larger and larger adoption of autonomous fleets and autonomous vehicles from personal car ownership perspective, we'll see the amount of traffic on the road go down and down over time and lead to greater kind of, I would say, transportation equality across geographies.
0: And I really like the heaven versus hell. It it does seem like there are a lot of people, especially uh, in the pundit class, that uh, it's a really great way to get some airtime. If you feel very strongly one way or another, but the answer uh, when you're trying to predict where things are going is often, like, as you said, a little bit of both. And that's not uh, just true for uh, this particular area that we're talking about. It's often that there are good things and bad things that come out of virtually every type of innovation. But, you know, if you want to try to put your head in the sand and just, you know, hope that people never innovate because there are going to be downsides to it, you know, good luck. That's not the world we're ever going to live in. (laughs) No, it isn't. Very true. Yeah. So, so okay. So th- th- we talked about a lot, but I, I want to ask you what's next for Metropolis? How big can you get this company? Because obviously I think uh, w- uh, living where we live, it seems like the goal is to always uh, grow and grow and grow, but it does seem like there are a lot of applications and there is a, a lot of big problems that you're trying to solve here.
1: I think there's two qu- two components to that answer. One is parking is just the tip of the spear as we move into kind of autonomous commerce. That's one component of our business model. The second component of our business model is how do we think about the mobility landscape and how do we reshape this 14% of surface area of, of cities across the country and then across the globe. As we talk about reshaping that urban landscape and we talk about the higher and better use for parking, as we discussed earlier, we're talking about cleaning, servicing, charging, deploying. It's really about repatriating these, I would say, kind of urban jungles or urban garages to a higher and better use that serves the community. You mentioned how people are willing to give up on some privacy for a value proposition. Well, I think most people in most communities are really looking for a greater value proposition from that 14% of their surface area. And as we think about whether land should be repurposed for cloud kitchens, mobility hubs, cleaning, servicing, and deploying of vehicles. If we think about vertical takeoff and landing drones, if you look at every mock-up that comes from most EV toll companies, it's taking off from the top of a parking facility. So how do we think about that urban landscape? And Metropolis is the core or is the operating partner that enables all of those services and repurposes all of that land. So I think we're pretty excited about our position within the market right now to be an integral partner and to facilitating those services.
0: I I love that answer. I, I got to ask you, and this is maybe on a little bit of a different topic, you know, I feel like infrastructure uh, disruptors like yourself largely operate under the radar and they really get to focus on innovating without thinking as much about PR and brand awareness because the right people need to know who you are. It's okay if not everybody in the world knows who you are. I mean, is that helpful to companies trying to build the future?
1: Just for clarity, Jeremy, are you asking, is it helpful for companies to remain under the radar?
0: Uh, Yeah. or, Or just, is it helpful to be in a sector like infrastructure that generally speaking is under the radar? It just seems to me, and please tell me if you disagree, that infrastructure is so incredibly critical. And yet to the average consumer, to the average person, they're not thinking about it as much. They're thinking about the glasses that they buy or the beauty products that they buy. And they're focused on innovation there. And And you get to focus on a very big problem with it uh, and and focused on the business uh, opportunity and how to innovate rather than thinking about how to be the the most well-known company out there.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a great question or it's a great comment. You know, you have, uh, I'll state it a little differently, Jeremy, you think about infrastructure not being sexy. And then you think about like, what is like the dirty underbelly of infrastructure? Like, how unsexy can I get? And you like, you land at the bottom and then you go down below that and you hit park it. So so look, I think there is, is, I as an executive and our team has a tendency to be very heads down. We're not into this for the glory, we are into this for the disruption and we're into this for changing our urban landscape and changing how we engage in mobility across city landscapes. Fundamentally, you think about the word mobility that we talk about all the time And if you think about the definition of mobility as the, you know, free and easy movement of people, goods and services, there's nothing free and easy about the movement of people, goods and services today. So that's the core focus of Metropolis is facilitating the true enablement of mobility. What I would say is there is a balancing act for us. You know, we have a tendency for the first two and a half years of our existence as a company, we were absolutely stealth. And candidly, I I don't normally place a lot of value in companies that are in stealth. I like the idea of getting your name out there. Um, At the same time, we knew we were disrupting an old school business um, and we would want to kind of stay under the radar until we were ready to present ourselves and ready to bring a solution that would have significant adoption as well as product market fit. So I think for us, we look to press, we look to public engagements because we think it helps with, I'd say, two components of our business. One is recruiting and two is getting out our public narrative to asset owners to bring on more assets. We're really interested in expanding our network and our footprint. Um, We will, you know, expand over a hundred times our network this year and our intention will be to do the same next year.
0: And then just maybe to leave you with this, uh, let's imagine it's the year 2030 or 2031. Let's go 10 years out what does the city of tomorrow look like, period? You know, let's assume you've had a, you know, a significant impact, but uh, let's just think about where that's what that city will look like and how it'll operate in a way different than the cities of today. So we're not going so far out to think Jetson's level, but maybe a decade from now.
1: Well, one of the things I really hope we see is, you know, unfortunately, based on our Automotive infrastructure today, we see around forty to fifty thousand deaths caused by automobiles every year. I would love to see that number approach zero. I can tell you, you know, the car I drive has so many safety protocols. It's not an autonomous vehicle, but it has so many safety protocols that if I make a mistake, it often corrects that mistake for me. So one of the one of the effects that I hope to see in the very near future is that. As a, as a society and as a globe, we lose significantly less people unfor- unnecessarily to automotive accidents. Um, I have a four-year-old daughter right now. I hope that she never has her driver's license. And she thinks about driving the way I think about smoking. It's like, you did that? And I, I think that that would be a, a, a wonderful outcome of technology. I also think about, as I move towards this construct of autonomous commerce, if you think about drive throughs, if you think about Any payment engagement that takes place in a vehicle, um, I think that entire ecosystem can move to an autonomous commerce product set whereby you're not engaging, you're not picking up your wallet, you're not even picking up your phone. It can be something that is a completely passive, remarkable or magical experience.
0: Well, I look forward to that. Uh, and I look forward to, you know, your creation of at least a portion of that future. So Alex, thank you so much for making the time with this was great. Jeremy,
1: this was wonderful. Really, uh, really glad to have this conversation with you.
0: Thanks again to Alex for making the time. As I mentioned, I've been thinking about these types of uh, issues for a while, and I don't know if you have, but it really does make me think that there's so much friction that can be removed from the processes that we were talking about today. If you'd like what you just heard, and this is your first time here, be sure to subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, the choice is yours. And if you're a longtime listener, please remember to rate and review Future Proof, as that's the number one way we get the show in front of people just like you. Special thanks this week to associate producers Jason Stack and V. Cortuccio. Once again, I'm Jeremy Goldman, and you've been listening to Future Proof.